0: Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. We
1: should pay particular attention to one draft prospect out of Tuscaloosa, And especially the Pappy took. Chuck Oliver Show on this Thursday. And I say this Thursday, it's Combine Thursday. That's right. Uh, We got things going on that actually count on your permanent record now. When I say permanent record, I can't tell you what year it was. I can guess. Can't tell you what year it was. Might have been... 2016. John Ross ran so fast that I think if he would have been wearing Nike, he would have won an island. Heath will give you those details later, but that, like, it's the kind of thing you remember. That's the permanent record. Now, John Ross, I think, sprinted. He ran fast in a straight line. He was a receiver out of Washington, I think and he showed up in Indianapolis and everybody already knew he was fast but boy was he that day and he became a top 10 pick I was going to say first rounder I think he went top 10 couldn't stay healthy this that and third whatever the story about John Ross that everybody remember forever and ever amen is his time at the combine so that's your permanent record man that's just what it is when I say we should, and that's going on right now, and Dave Bartwo's up there, and so they've got on-field stuff, and they people filling the cup, and lifting weights, and just the vertical. All of that's happening. When I say we should pay particular attention to one draft prospect, out of Tuscaloosa, there's always a bunch of them, and there were before Nick Saban, not as many. There are going to be a lot of draft prospects at Alabama after Nick Saban, especially with what it looks like the next coaching staff will be. When we start with Kalen DeBoer, and then a staff full of coaches that he trusts, well, that tells me that, all right, it's probably going to be successful. I don't know how long he's going to be there. I don't know how great of a hire he will continue to be. looks good at first in the SEC, but, I mean, full steam ahead for Mama. As for... One guy who's departing, Tuscaloosa, J.C. Latham. And when I say we should pay particular attention to J.C. Latham, certainly the path he took as well. Now, J.C. Latham, it started, I mean, asphalt, not gravel. But J.C. Latham came in as a five-star offensive tackle recruit. And he and Brockemeyer, I think, might have been in the same class. But... We had this idea because of unreal 18-year-old true freshman Alabama tackles like Jonah and Cyrus and Andre and Cam and these just like mountainous men that would show up, hang out for three years, blow up defensive linemen, and then off to the league as a, again, first round, top 10 in a lot of cases. And so we thought that that for somehow in Alabama, that was normal. It wasn't normal like at any other program, but Alabama's like, what's wrong with you? You're halfway through your freshman year, and you don't start at left tackle yet. It's not real. Chris Landry, former NFL scout, we've had him on. We had him on every, when what was his day? Wednesday. We had him on every Wednesday for about, oh, three or four years. And the way he put it. <clears throat> He said, Chuck, you know, if somebody has, you know, coming out of high school and they have business aspirations, like banking or finance or whatever. He said, if you want the best of the best, then you're going to go get your education at Warden and go to Penn Penn and then Warden School of Business. So it's the best there is. He says, if you come out of high school and you want your career to be offensive lineman, you go to Tuscaloosa. He said, it is that same sort of spread between there are a lot of good places to go and then there's warden he's like there's a lot of good places ain't none like tuscaloosa and then it wasn't the same then it wasn't quite what it had been and then it was noticeable that alabama's having some issues up front now i'll give them credit and we had talked about this in the moment what they did figuring out how to block it up against georgia for the sec championship game when like i don't know seven days earlier a not very great Auburn team had figured them out to the point that Bama's season was on the brink. Seven days later, they're blocking Georgia like that. Now, it was an X's and O's thing. They just outnumbered you. There's a tight end, there's another tight end. There's a guy who's actually an offensive lineman that we're gonna put tight end jersey on, and now he's gonna be another tight end. And by golly, all right, now we're protecting our quarterback. They figured it out. They had already fi- they had always been figured it out up to that point by running their five linemen out onto the field. That was the Saban at Bama offensive line version of figuring it out up front. But times change and you do what you do when you wind up as SEC champions that day. JC Latham, he came in and there were expectations because of others. It's be- <laughs> the weird thing. Not because of anything to do with JC Latham other than, oh, well, he has the same right. I've never seen this kid. Is he from Michigan, I think? And there are some... Like, Andre Smith was from... Was it Huffman, I believe, in Birmingham, Alabama. So, sometimes it's local. And you may have seen the kid. I don't know. You go to Maryland? Was that where Cyrus Quanjo was from? You live in Pell City. Not much chance you saw the kid who was a five-star coming out of Maryland. But you may have looked online and saw, oh, well, he's this tall, weighs this much, and he's got five stars. He plays the same spot. Well, he's going to be as good as Andre Smith. Andre Smith was unreal sort of rare, unless you string like four or five of them together. So, J.C., what's your issue? I say that because as a true freshman, J.C. probably was about a B. And I'm talking about, on the level of all the SEC offensive linemen together, including the 18-year-old, average all of them together, and J.C. Latham was probably above average. Too solid, almost. He had, uh, he was 18. I say include the 18-year-old. That's because you're also including the 22-year-old and the 23-year-old. I think he was about a B. You know what he was as a sophomore? Better than that. You know what he was this past season as a junior? He got to the point where folks looked at J.C. Latham and the sort of disappointing, why aren't you a little better, a little sooner, like the freshman from like two years ago, and said, first-round draft pick. When I say pay particular attention to one draft prospect out of Tuscaloosa, okay, that's J.C. Latham the path is what I want us to pay attention to. And I guess, I say pay attention, not even like linger on it, just, just mark it. Because he may be one of the final first-round draft picks from the Saban era. Now, a Bama player who only played for Nick Saban, there won't be any more of those after this year. <clears throat> and so J.C. Latham... When I talk about the path, if you want to Google your computer right now, put quotes around Nick and then Saban, and then do the same for the phrase. It's four words. Create value for themselves. Folks, there are radio hosts, guys and girls on TV, I don't know, public speakers. Anybody who's got to rattle off some... Words now and again. There are crutches. Don't think that create value for because you if you did that you just brought up examples from 2014, 2023, 2019, 2020. That was something that you would hear Nick Saban talk about a lot. What do you want for your players? This did create values for themselves. Do things. Make choices. Make decisions that create value for themselves. Don't make decisions that takes away value. Make decisions that creates value. What are you talking about? Everything from working out to leave the gun at the apartment. So if you googled that, and I think somebody just did, like there's somebody listening right now, probably multiple somebodies. Nick Saban create value for themselves. You will see it happen. In April. You'll see it from August. You will see it from Media Days in July. You will see it at the SEC Media, uh the SEC championship game, Media Day, first week of December. It wasn't a crutch for him. It wasn't this, all right. Well, I'm gonna talk to the media, so I'm gonna start throwing this stuff out. Y'all ever seen Lou Holtz speaking in person? Not on TV, I'm talking. Not like, oh yeah, I was at that game day set in Knoxville in ninety eight. No. <laughs> he wouldn't have been there. Um Lou Holtz, if you've seen him in person, like, he's got one talk. And it involves this newspaper thing, and he tears up, and then there's the newspaper. Um, That's not what Nick Saban is doing. It's not like he's got this mental Rolodex of about four different themes to get him through any public speaking or interview situation. Folks, he's got a resume. I mean, talk about creating value for a lot of kids. The specific path that I'm looking at with J.C. Latham, NFL coaches, they want ballers. They want mean, legit tough guys. Like, while it says bad MF on it. And the draft prospect from Alabama under Nick Saban, not this draft prospect from Alabama, the draft prospect. The draft prospect. Who are we talking about? The one from Bama. Under Nick Saban? Oh, yeah. They always had it. NFL coaches want ballers. They want guys got that dog in them. Get after you. Uber competitive. Under Nick Saban, if there was any draft prospect coming out of Tuscaloosa, they always had that dog in them. Um, I think, and by the way, J.C. Latham, he physically, like he aged two years. He, he grew two years. He showed up on campus, and they say, all right, this is your routine to run and lift, and this is how you're going to eat, and then you're going to go compete against NFL linemen every day as an 18-year-old, so go get you some. And by the way, when you're not great immediately, you're going to hear about it. And so there's pressure. to so learn that part of being a pro as well. Learn to deal with pressure next. All of this stuff happened to J.C. Latham. And he looked at it. And he was like, yes, screw that noise. I'm a win. I'm gonna be on top of all of this. And do you know what the result is from a guy that some people looked at a little bit? It's like, I see the talent. He's good. I guess he's all right. Uh, he's not Andre. You know what he is now? First round pick. I don't know. He's probably a right tackle. Could be just a massive guard, but I think he's a right tackle. I don't know. In the NFL, that's a pass protector. J.C. Latham is probably anywhere from, I don't know, 15 to 30. He's a first-round pick. And he was the guy that 15 minutes ago we were all like, yeah, I guess I kind of see a little bit. Yeah, he's got that dog. Mean. Legit. And under Nick Saban, that was the one thing. Forty time, wow! It was a little less. Oh, we measured him. He's five eleven, not six one. Like, I mean, there's everybody had everybody had a wart. Bryce went first overall, short. Everyone who came out of Bama though, under Nick Saban, competitive as all get out, and that is that one last little brain cell, that gene, that the NFL looks at and said, "All right, that's the difference. That's the reason we're going to take this guy instead of somebody else." So it's just something to pay attention to. That's the bigger thing, um, you know. As once you get past wins and losses, I don't care what the uniform is or how he speaks, so uh, accent, whatever. Um, is that Bama player still coming out with that same like deep seated like it's in his veins? He's a competitor. So, all right, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Come back, jump into it next.
0: more college football talk with the king of college football, it's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern
1: Sports Today. Thursday on the Chuck Oliver Show. Thank you all so much for coming here for your college football conversation. We do a year-round while we're doing it on February 29th. The SEC has announced the appearance schedule for the media days coming up, uh, football media days coming up Dallas in July. Monday, July 15th, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, wraps up Thursday the 18th in Dallas. It was a Hoover thing, which is south of Birmingham. It was an Atlanta thing a couple of times. Nashville last year, it's going to be in Dallas. It's for sale, so it's a road show. It'll be a really well-run event. It's going to get either ignored or swallowed up there. Uh, In particular, like last year in Nashville, where they really love college football in particular and a lot of the programs involved. Like Vanderbilt, uh, we were in Nashville if clark lee's day with the media would have been on a nashville residence front lawn i don't think that guy would have raised the shade some of the other programs oh my goodness brian kelly i don't talk to him lane kiffin what yes i love lane or at least hearing him or i hate lane or you know wherever but yeah lane yeah um in nashville it was kind of an ignored thing. I've said it's going to get swaddled up in Dallas and ignored, but that's just a size thing, and, you know, what do you really value? They love college football out there. At least I know they love Texas football, et cetera. Um, but it's, it's kind of meant for a different setting, I believe, but it's going to be a wildly successful and productive event. My big takeaway from looking at the four-day schedule, I mentioned this last week or two weeks ago. The ACC had said, here's our our schedule, and then, all right, as far as here are the days, we're going to do it. And then after that, a couple hours was here is the list of the coaches for each of the four days. And I was suspicious from the start, and I started my show the next day by saying, I'm suspicious about this. There are only two hooks in all of the ACC, honestly. There are two. If somebody from just a a local sports talk station that covers college football anywhere in the footprint of the ACC, anywhere in the footprint of the ACC, if you come back to the station and any sound other than the local team, Florida State and Clemson, you may be fired. Like I don't need Syracuse, I don't need Wake Forest, I, NC State, Mac Brown. I can probably get away with Mac Brown as a rejoin. Hey, that was Mac Brown. But as far as we're playing the interview and it's a big deal, and you want to tell everybody I sat down with. If you're in Raleigh, I sat down with Dave Doran. We're BFF. Here's what he told me exclusively. And then here's Dabo, and here's my. Other than Clemson and Florida State, there's no hook. And I said, I'm suspicious. And he said, they just did it. Yeah, it's real You know, yeah, they did. Monday is Florida State with the commissioner. Get that out of the way before anybody else is even on the property. The first two, the commissioner and Florida State. Let them go Thunderdome. And somebody will bust the wheel and out you go. So that leads it, three days later, to wrap it up, Dabo. Well, the SEC, it doesn't matter how they configure this. It's one just monster day of either program by brand, interesting head coaches, stuff you really do need to know about, etc. I'm going to skip to the last day. It's the, quote, stinker of the bunch. The programs are Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, and Texas A&M. The coaches, Sam Pittman, Hugh Freeze, Mark Stoops, Mike Elko. Sam Pittman is hoping by the time he gets there, everybody ran out of ways to ask Billy Napier, how does it feel to know you're about to get fired? And, like, maybe he gets a pass because they like him more. But uh, Sam Pittman's a good enough interview. Everybody loves Sam Pittman coming around. He'll talk to everybody. Hugh Freeze, very interesting, a lot of pressure, a lot of provocative questions. You can talk to him about Mark Stoops, Mike Elko, sure. That is in the rear view. Barely can see it. You start Monday with Brock Kelly, Lane Kiffin, Shane Beamer, and then, all right, somebody, Clark Lee. Somebody's got to take Clark Lee. You know, Clark Lee has to play two innings when the softball game happens. Um. The rest of the schedule we'll get to is not worth really going to, but it's just wonderful stuff every single day. Like when the consolation prizes: Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, and Texas A&M, especially with some of these stories this year for Auburn and A&M, um, Arkansas is kind of what we understand what's about to happen. It's just, you know, peel some days off the calendar. And, folks, this is with Nick Saban no longer in the mix. Now, the Alabama coach, I saw Mike Shula, Dennis Franchione, I've seen everybody just descended upon at media days, doesn't matter. But Saban is off the board now, and it's still this way. Hey, how's
2: that Thursday? Yeah, you know, I, I was looking at uh, the overall list, and I'm with you, Chuck. I'm a little surprised when you're doing it in Texas. I'm a little surprised at, at a couple of the choices here because it's going to be hard to get a lot of media that has traditionally gone to this event to go all the way to Dallas. You're either talking about a flight, or you're talking about a much longer drive and expenses. It's a drive.
1: It's a full day across the state.
2: Normally, Alabama media, Tennessee media, Mississippi media, Georgia media, you you can count on them any of the spots this thing has been. Even Nashville, very easy for all of them to get to. Um, So I'm a little surprised that you go with the Alabama-Auburn combo Wednesday and Thursday. That feels to me like you're going to have some of these places say, okay, We're not going to get the first part of this. We're going to show up for the final two days. We'll get Auburn. We'll get Alabama. We're not going for Lane and Shane Beamer and Clark Lee and Brian Kelly on day one. We're not going. Like, I I feel like we're going to get a lot more of the conference getting two days here, two days there than the full four by this. I just thought it was interesting how they scheduled it. Yeah, you're right. Texas
1: and Texas A&M are both also the Wednesday-Thursday thing. So there is media that can say, you know what, we have the budget because it's what we talked about with ACC, and you said, Chucky, it plays out literally dozens of times every July. I either have to rustle up a sponsor or what I spend is on me to go cover this. That is the reality for a lot of folks. And so it looks like you're correct, Heath, that they may have gone a tandem day on a monday tuesday that would make sense for some people a wednesday thursday that would make sense um really forward thinking i think actually i'm going to give him some credit for this
0: Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show.
1: It's Thursday on the Chuck Oliver Show. We talk college football, go to Cross Dine State, 60 sticks. So thankful for the blessing. This is year 10 for us. Want to head out now? We talk Clemson. we got a truest reporter for everybody. Our truest reporter for Clemson from the state. It's a paper yonder in Columbia. Chapel Fowler. Chapel, welcome, friend. How you doing today? I'm doing well, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Uh appreciate your time, man, and your expertise. Okay, let's jump into this. K Klubnick. Um this is the second year with they got a five star quarterback from Texas, and then they got the biggest offseason offensive assistant hire in college football last year. This is gonna be year two with that. How will it look?
3: Yeah, I, I think first of all, you talk about that contrast. I mean, around this time last year with that pairing, that Cade Klobnik-Garrett Riley pairing, uh, expectations were through the roof, and and rightly so. Uh, If you just looked in a vacuum at, you know, what did Cade Klobnik do in the ACC title game against UNC, and what did he show in the Orange Bowl against Tennessee, and what did Garrett Riley do in that ridiculous year he had at TCU? um, You know, there were a lot of reasons for excitement uh, among Clemson fans. That came back down to earth probably within the first quarter, Of the first game, which I'm sure you and everybody else remember, that national TV game against Duke. Yep, yep. Monday night Labor Day, all eyes on Clemson, and you learned really quick that this was uh, this wasn't going to be any uh, like Case Keenum air raid stuff. Um, There were things that needed to be fixed. There was stuff Cade needed to work on, and he's still a work in progress. I think that was kind of one of the main takeaways um, from Dabo Sweeney's, you know, introductory spring practice presser yesterday. Um, they are obviously confident in, in Cade and in, in Garrett Riley in the offense, but they acknowledge there was a lack of explosiveness, a lack of consistency, a lot of stuff that needs to get better. So m- my take is, you know, Phil Maffa, the backfield is now without Will Shipley, and, and we've seen when he's had a backfield to himself, what he can do. I think this is going to be a massive year for him. Um, and, and logically, I think that would kind of, Settle down the passing game a little bit, get paid Club Nick a few more chances to not maybe do as much, get, keep things simple, hit the layups, which is something he's still working on, um, and maybe get a little bit more consistency from there. They have a lot more offensive line continuity this year, but they also had that last year and it didn't really translate. So that's obviously why they fired their former offensive line coach and brought in Matt Luke, a uh, big name, Georgia Ole Miss, all yep. his past experience. Um, And I think it's kind of just consistency across the board is what they need. And the killer turnovers have to stop because anybody who tuned into any Clemson game last year probably saw one of those ridiculous pick sixes or untimely fumbles or a strip sack that gets returned for a touchdown against Florida state that changes the game. Um, That is something that you can talk about you can practice um but players need to do that they they need to not fumble the ball at the worst possible time which seemed to happen on i don't know 80 percent of clemson's fumbles last year so lower expectations for offense and i think they're totally deserved and it, it's kind of wait and see but i think the run game may be a little bit more consistent better more worked into what they're doing and perhaps that can translate to success uh passing wise but uh Big question mark for me. Probably the biggest question mark for them right now.
1: From outside the program, it was easy every recruiting, you know, signing day to look at the wide receivers, and they either look like power forwards or MMA fighters, like these big, giant, huge dudes. And two years ago, I saw this kind of shorter, skinnier kid, freshman, lead the team in receiving. Uh, Then Antonio Williams got hurt last year, and um, I don't even know, was he ever really 100% during the season? But... Is he expected to be a hundred percent this season? Because the kid showed when he had an opportunity as a true freshman, he played, man, he produced. Uh, where is he right now?
3: Yeah, you're uh, you're speaking Davo's language there and bringing up the fact that you know one of their best guys wasn't around for the majority of last year. Um, they're also high on Cole Turner, who basically didn't play all of last year as well. Um, but yeah, Williams has gone on and proven it. Proved it as a true freshman. Um, he really was not healthy from, like, the third game on. Like, he got some sort of ankle injury, I think, against Fort Atlantic, and uh, that was in and out, and then he had a toe injury. But he came back um, for that Gator Bowl against Kentucky, and I think you saw flashes and kind of a reminder of what he can do. You know, he was far from 100% in that game, and he didn't have some ridiculous stat line. But I think he ended up with, I don't know, four catches, 60 yard, and had an absolutely critical um, – fourth down, third down catch on that final drive of the game, um, about 15 yards that really got Clemson going. Uh, And he was uh, getting to being pretty healthy at that point. He's full go right now. Uh, We were out there at the media portion of practice yesterday, you know, no Jersey designation on him, no injury, you know, uh, um, halfway ramping up. Um, He is healthy and he can play inside, outside. That's a huge guy for them, and they missed him a lot. Because, um, like you said, that explosiveness has kind of been lacking. And he's a guy who, whenever he's healthy, ha- has shown that he can uh, make just about any catch, do it from just about anywhere. Um, you know, size-wise, he's not a guy that can go up and exactly rip the ball off the top of a quarterback's head. Uh, that- that's kind of specifically what they've been lacking. Wide receiver-wise, you talk about, um, you know, the-, the T. Higgins or Mike Williams or – DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, um, yeah, all these guys. guys. That, that, yeah, that, that mold has not really... Again, those guys, right? Yeah, like it's easy to get. <laughs> it, was, year, but, it was. Deion it was Kane. Yeah. I
1: mean, like uh-huh. my, it doesn't matter. Shake the tree. Clemson receivers fell out of it.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, it was a ridiculous run, and and they've come up short a few years, and it's really shown how how important that, you know, just absolute dog of a wide receiver, how important that role is within their offense for success. Um, so, so, Williams has a lot of traits. He's maybe not a a six, four monster in that regard. Um, But, but a healthy year for him, I think is is a big net positive for Clemson and definitely for Kate Klutnick as well.
1: I would have bet my social security on Adam Randall. Um, I just Um, (laughs) flip it around. Barrett Carter. All right. I'm going to tell you where Barrett Carter should be right now. Like looking at his interview schedule in Indianapolis and saying, all right, chargers giants Colts. Um, He's an NFL player. What's he doing in Clemson still?
3: He has told us, he told us just
1: yesterday, and and I think you saw it on the tape.
3: He did not have as good of a year in 2023 as he did in 2022. And and he told us kind of, frankly, the the information he got back from NFL teams, you know, he was going to be an NFL player, but the information he got back about what he needed to work on, kind of where he was draft status at that point, didn't really sit right with him. Um, he, He loves Clemson. He wanted to, he to Clemson to win national titles. He hasn't done that yet. Uh, that that played a role. But I think he knows he has another step to take. I mean, it, it was interesting. If you remember, again, I go back to that first Duke game, really set the tone for, for so much for Clemson last year. Um, Barrett Carter had Riley Leonard dead to rights for what would have been a sack in a critical moment. Leonard ducks him, ducks two other guys, runs it like 44 yards in for a touchdown. Um, huge momentum shift in that game. Clemson's really never close again to, to winning that one. And, you know, a, d- a day later we, we hear Barrett just admitting, again, he's very frank and honest and quotable in all these interviews, which I appreciate. He just kind of admits straight up, hey, you know, I, I wasn't in shape. My body were, wasn't where it needed to be. And, again, part of that is just, you know, game speed is game speed. You can't replicate that. Um, but from that first game, he was like, I'm, I'm just not where I need to be right now. And he was disappointed in himself for that. And, and – he rebounded over the course of the season that Gator Bowl he had an excellent game oh my gosh I think he had turnovers on, on back-to-back offensive snaps that, that he forced um, just a crazy stat line um, so you know we've seen flashes from him he was a big five-star recruit for a reason but I think it was a combination of a down year by his standards and some of that NFL draft feedback that he got and just the fact that Clemson has not been the Clemson, you know, that he committed to since he's been there in terms of where they've been, how many wins they've been getting the playoff competition, all that stuff. So I think everything played a role there. Um, but yeah, he, he could be in Indy right now there with his buddies. I think the the linebackers start drills at 3 PM today. So it could be him and him and Jeremiah Trotter, but instead it's just one of them.
1: <laughs> all right. Wrapping up. And I would, you mentioned, you actually used a phrase and it's in my notes, that dog, um, that, everybody knows what that means. Somebody got that dog in them. Um, I was reading some commentary last night. uh, Who will be the first corner taken in the draft? um, Nate Wiggins or Devin Witherspoon? And Devin Witherspoon basically has been described of, he's like 180 pounds of pissed off meanness that just loves hitting people. Um, He's got that dog in him, that uber competitor, whereas Nate Wiggins is a more technically sound, taller, faster, you know, all this other stuff. But they're wondering about, does he have that does he have that dog like does he like get you know does he get that shiver when he gets to hit something um give me the truth on nate wiggins uh tell me what he is as an nfl player and is that profile correct yeah uh well speed first of all is what you
3: think of you know there's that clip that's been making the rounds among the draft experts uh this week and i'm always happy to watch it whenever it comes up because it really was ridiculous that chase down uh fumble from behind on omar hampton of unc in that game in november where wiggins is nowhere in the play and comes up out of nowhere to pop the ball out of the running back's hands into the end zone for a touchback that that prevents unc from taking a 14-0 lead on the road uh, he had a similar one a few weeks before at miami where he chased down a guy from gosh i don't even know how many yards uh to force another fumble they ended up recovering that one miami did for a touchdown but uh Kind of his speed, that raw speed in those moments, is pretty ridiculous. Uh, I don't know if he'll touch the the combine record by any means when he runs this 40, um, but I'm sure he's going to have a pretty good time. Uh, and again, at that size that he's at, it's a pretty... 6'2"? Six 6'2", two. Six, two, freaky combination, right? Um, I, I will say something that, and I'm sure this will come up in the pre draft process with him, um, issues. Honestly, you know, this is something that he's been direct about addressing. he has been direct about addressing uh, in his time at Clemson. He had a stretch as a true freshman where he was um, you know, missing a bunch of classes and, and not being able to get onto the field because of that. And, and then he kind of sorted that out. He had a really good sophomore year. He probably should have been the championship game MVP for the ACC title game in 2022. He had this pick six on drake may that really right. changed the game but at the same time you know you have kate klubnick off the bench doing what he did so that, that's dessert but if it wasn't for kate klubnick he would have been the uh, title game mvp as a corner which is pretty rare um and this this past year you know he had a stretch where i think he w- was benched for two out of three games or something like that he came off the bench twice in the middle of the year which i thought was kind of strange for a for a surefire nfl draft pick and, and that was when he told us that, like once again you know he, he's miss tutoring sessions. Um, you know, he, he wasn't where he needed to be on our accountability point metric that they track that kind of, um, has positives and negatives of what people are doing in the program on campus and how does that translate to, um, game time. So that's something that he's kind of dealt with on and off. He's been open, and honest about that. Hey, I need to get better about that. You know, I'm more focused on this stuff now, and I'm sure he's addressing that substantially and in a good way, uh, with all these pre-draft interviews. Um, when you talk about that dog and stuff. I think Debo has often used the phrase about kids, you know, they have your talent and you want to, and you need your want to, to exceed your talent, to reach your full 100% potential. Um, I feel like he and Wiggins would probably agree. That wasn't always the case for him at Clemson, but at the same time, um, you know, the, the traits alone are worth uh, yep. a first round pick, which will probably be, uh, but but I'd say that's something that kind of came up with him at Clemson. And I'm sure it's part of his evaluation as well. Just kind of a, off-field stuff, minor, but, you know, commitment, maturity, all those type of things, that, that's probably something he'll have to answer to a little bit uh, as he goes through this process. But I'm sure uh, a team will take a stab at him, a uh, well-deserved stab
1: regardless. Oh, six, two oily hips, four-three. I like all of that. I uh, appreciate your time, friend. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Chuck. Chapel Fowler from the state. It's in Columbia. It's a newspaper. And... I appreciate him coming on and lending the expertise, our truest reporter for Clemson today. Dabo had his spring kickoff session press media thing yesterday. And so, and Matt Luke, like one of the best you, you would imagine, and there's no reason for it to just be advertising. You'd imagine like everybody. I have casual knowledge of Matt Luke and his abilities. A lot of it comes from people like Chris Landry, for instance, going, "Wow, old Mrs. offensive line coach is really good, wow well, their head coach is really good being an offensive line coach. Wow Kirby hired a good offensive line coach Well now Dabo hired him, so like that there's impactful stuff going on uh and like there's there's still elite talent on that Clemson roster. It dots it. We've talked about like last year certainly two years ago, but certainly last year. Oh, Clemson's got two running backs start 90% of the places in America. Well, now they have one (laughs) that would start 90% of the places in America. So instead of having all the like seven NFL prospects on defense, eh, maybe they got three and maybe one of them's a first rounder instead of three of them off the line, they just reached unrealistic heights. Now they're back to normal human, non-alien sort of heights. But Nate Wiggins, yeah, he's a big, good-looking kid. wonder if he plays in somebody's face mask. You know, will he beat up somebody on the line of screen? When you talk about when you pair elite first-round talent with I outwork everybody just because I, I don't like people who don't work, like Julio Jones, go read. There's a story, ESPN.com, go, and I, go Google, about Julio in high school down in Foley, Alabama. And everybody looked at him and was like, "Yep, he's got that dog." And he, and he was the best player. Pair those together. Mm. We break. Continue next.
0: Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. What we found out about four or five games in, I think we had a, found our identity on offense, who we are. We were going to be a little bit more of a run, play, action, and then pick our spots to
3: go super
0: fast. <clears throat> we never, like, stopped and said, hey, we're going to slow it down, you know.
2: But that's just kind of how we evolved last year. And when we got to that, Uh, kind of identity, it really clicked for us. And he played really, really well the last half of the season.
1: Now, all of that is true in the AAC. Um, We've talked about this. If you go look at the Big 12 conference standings from last year, it was Baylor who just had a fall off the earth season. The, the bottom five teams were Baylor and the four new schools that were playing up and didn't have the old big conference quote roster yet. SMU, and that's Rhett Lashley. I'm sorry, that's head coach at SMU. And he rode that Gus relationship, and he was even talking about pace there to being an assistant to being an offensive coordinator to being a head coach and he's having some success at uh, southern methodist seven and six his first season 11 and three last year and they finished as a ranked team so that's coming out of the aac now when i say that they went they won 11 games And they went to a bowl game, and they did. Well, they lost the bowl game, and they lost it to a not necessarily great Boston College team, but it's hard to judge what that really means. Well, all right. uh, What else you got besides BC from, say, Power 5? Well, I got Oklahoma, and they lost by 17. And I've got TCU, and they lost by 17. Otherwise, yeah, I played Navy Aces. Played Prairie View, fantastic. Played Charlotte, dub. At East Carolina. And you just don't roll into Dowdy Ficklin. Well, you do sometimes. Uh, at East Carolina. Won by three touchdowns. Went into downtown Philadelphia and beat Temple by 55. So, yeah, it was good football. Oh, what a different life it's about to be for SMU. Uh, that's my prediction, but he summarized the season Correctly, hey,
2: that's Thursday, man. You know, Chuck. There's a um, there's multiple reports actually that are out there about the next playoff and what it's going to look like. Now, nobody has said this is absolutely done, but you have uh, Yahoo, ESPN, among others, reporting that it looks like we're headed for a 14 teamer beginning yeah. in 26. That'll have three automatic berths for the SEC and three automatic births for the Big Ten, two each for the Big 12 and the ACC, one for whoever that group of five champion is that's good enough to make it in and then three at large spots which would be probably notre dame most years and then two others for whoever can get in and i am seeing this reported over and over chuck as you know the sec and the big ten are getting their way they're making they're making everybody bow down to them chuck can you think of a single year in the last 20 years that the SEC, if you just at large took 14 teams, no regard for anything other than best 14 teams, would not have three teams in the top 14? Can you think of a single one?
1: No, this this isn't done to incl- make sure the SEC and Big Ten get included. It's to open up two more spots for everybody who get left out. <laughs>
2: Well, that's the part I find hilarious. The winner here, if you want to call somebody as a winner, now look, you know, if you want to argue we shouldn't be having this many reserve spots, that's a different deal. I have no problem with your argument. But if you're arguing who a winner is, the winner is the ACC. The ACC did not have two teams in the top 14 in 2021 or 2023. That's just in the last three years. It's not hard at all to remember years, Chuck, where it was Clemson and nobody from that conference that was even remotely good. Now, there's no inherent reason that you can't have Clemson and FSU or Clemson and Miami or, or whoever be good enough to be top 14 teams. I'm not saying they can't do it, but that conference has repeatedly failed to have two teams worthy of national conversation. And now they're going to get two in regardless. Yeah, it, This is not the mean old SEC. The ACC's winning here.
1: Yeah, I got to tell you, you know, the way the SEC and Big Ten got their ways is you didn't cap it at three. Like, I, you talk about guarantee you gave into them them. Um, I promise you the way that the SEC wanted it, uh, they probably overcame conversation to cap it, to at some point say, we want to make sure these extra spaces are reserved for us. It's likely what just happened was two more spaces got added for l- programs that would be left out and slash conferences that got left out. There's a chance the Big Ten and the SEC gobble up one of those in a ra- random year as well.
2: No, I mean Sankey had said the whole time he was fine with no conference champions yep. of any kind, just 12, yep. twelve, fourteen, Line whatever it is, best go. And so I just I, the the interpretations I'm seeing of this from people who, especially national media people who should know better, just have me scratching my head. This is this is not the big bad bullies of the SEC and the Big Ten. When by getting three spots, both of those conferences regularly would fill those spots. We have no idea what the Big 12 is now. It's anybody's guess without Oklahoma and Texas what they are. But we know what the ACC has been and been much.
1: Yeah, you think that guaranteeing the SEC a third team in a 14-team field is some sort of concession? Mm-mm. Just look at when they take four of those teams.
0: a $5 minimum balance required.